0: Well, uh, beloved, for the third time, I ask you to join me in the 15th chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 15. Actually, it's our fifth time in this chapter, but it's our third time looking at the familiar yet misunderstood parable of the prodigal son. It's a a simple story, it's a deep story. Uh, It has enriched me as we've looked back through it this tale of a lost son who was found, a, a dead son raised to life, a a Shamed Son Restored. Um, so as we have the past two Sundays, the, the biblical text is what's most important. So let's read the parable in its entirety and then we'll dig back into it again. Starting in verse 11, Luke 15, 11, down to the end of the chapter. And he, Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf "'Kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. "'He was lost and has been found.' "'And they began to celebrate.' "'Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, "'he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants "'and began inquiring what these things could be. "'And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf.' because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. Let's pray. Father, here we are again in this well-known story. But I pray now that our familiarity with the plot won't keep us from seeing it with fresh eyes. I pray your word might resonate and that our eyes might be opened to what is going on here. May our view of you and your glory be unobscured by our sin, by our preconceived notions, by our prejudices. Help us, Father, see you that we might glorify Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, here we are again, uh, week three in this parable. But before we move forward, we do need to remember where we are, where we've been. You know, to understand anything, we've got to understand the context. And remember in Luke 15, Luke is, or Jesus is continuing his weeks and months long journey through the villages and towns of Judea. He's going into all the different towns and villages. Uh, it's a march that will inevitably end at the cross, He's going to be crucified there. He's going to rise from the dead on the third day. He's going to be the propitiatory sacrifice, the the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. The Father's wrath will be absorbed in Him for the sins of all who ever believe. And then He will rise in victory on the third day, guaranteeing our eternal life, by the way. But in this chapter, He's still on the way, and He's still teaching. And it's the tax collectors and sinners we see in verse 1 who are coming to Him. They're coming to Him, and they want to listen to Him. And while all have sinned, every single one of us and every single person, period, except for Jesus, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the word sinners here is, is a technical term, really. It's, it's a specifically referring to a kind of people. And the kind of people it's talking about here... When you see it coupled with tax collectors, it's talking about the worst of the worst. It's talking about the kind of people a religious Jew, a good Jew, would not want to be around at all. They would do their best to avoid them. Tax collectors and sinners were the scum of the earth to the religious establishment, to the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and Pharisees, remember, they were so influential over the everyday religion in Israel. You had this group of, of people called Sadducees who were the high priest in the temple. They controlled things there. But the the heart of Judaism in the first century really beat around the synagogue. And every town had a synagogue. And it was the scribes and Pharisees who were really uh, so influential there. And, and So they were the gatekeepers of Jewish religion. They were the people who said, you're a good Jew or you're not a good Jew. They were the people who were so hostile toward Jesus, and when they saw sinners, tax collectors and sinners, coming to Jesus, they grumbled, we see in verses 1 and 2, because Jesus didn't turn them away. They grumbled because this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's what they said with a whole lot of scorn. And Jesus, what does he do? He responds in Luke 15 with three parables that make up this whole chapter. The prodigal son is the main parable. It's the last one. It's the one we're talking about today. The parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin precede it. And what do they communicate? What have we seen? The joy of heaven. The joy of God when even one sinner repents. The joy of God, the joy that God takes in saving sinners. Saving those He has created who are unworthy of His grace, unworthy of His mercy, unworthy of His blessings. And this parable of the prodigal son is the the pinnacle of that. It is the most descriptive, it is the most vivid, and as we have started looking at this in verses 11 through 16, what do we see? We saw what a sinner looks like. We saw there what a sinner looks like. The younger of two sons demanded his share of the inheritance, his share of the estate. His father was still alive. His father was not dead yet. And yet he demanded his share of what was coming to him. It was a shameless act. It was a shameless, selfish thing to do. And it was essentially him saying to his father, I wish you were already dead. I wish I I could have what was coming to me right now. Uh, It was oozing, this request was, with enmity toward his father. Uh, It was just as bad as it could get. And what made it even more complicated was that the father controversially obliged the son. He gave him his, his stuff. And without delay, the son went to the distant land, a Gentile country, where he wasted everything on loose living, immoral living and a famine comes along, and you add a natural disaster to the bankruptcy he inflicted upon himself, and all of a sudden he is desperate and starving to death. But instead of of returning to his father then, he tries to fix things himself. He tries to remedy his own condition. He hires himself out. He, He attaches himself to that land. He ends up feeding pigs, a Jewish man feeding and handling unclean animals. There is not a scenario Jesus could have come up with that it would have been more shameful to the scribes and Pharisees hearing this. He could not have imagined a more repulsive scenario to the scribes and Pharisees. The prodigal son was what a sinner looks like. Well, then last week in verses 17 through the first part of 20, we saw what repentance looks like. We saw what repentance looks like. The son came to his senses. He realizes his father, what is his father? He even gives his hired men more than enough bread to eat. He's, he's more than generous to even those who are his hired day laborers. Uh, so if he could just return and be one of them, it would be better than the life he had now. So he thinks through what he's going to say. Uh, father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you Make me one of your hired men. He he holds no uh, hopes of being restored as a son. Just as long as he can be one of the workers, that will be enough for him. He he has no... That would be too much to ask to be fully restored. But uh, we saw he came to his senses. And that's an important phrase because toward the end of our time last week, I asked you to turn to 2 Timothy 2, and we read from there... That God is the one who grants the sinner repentance. God is the one who gifts the sinner with repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, so that he may come to his senses, that's what Paul writes, and escape from the snare of the devil. The parallel between that passage in 2 Timothy 2 and the prodigal parable is so strong, I wonder if Paul had it in mind when he wrote that, but... God grants this younger son the grace of repentance. He comes to his senses. He begins to see his father with clear eyes. He begins to see his father as he really was. and, And by the way, he sees himself as he really is now too. And it humbled him. And more than humbling him, it drove him to act, to move back into the direction of his Father. Because that is what repentance will always do. It will drive you back in the direction of the Father. It will, it will bring you to a point where you are uh, convicted of your sins, where you are repenting of your sins, where you recognize your own unworthiness, and you move back, you are compelled to go back to your Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course... For the prodigal here, all he could hope for was the father's mercy. He, he not only shamed himself, he, he'd done much worse. He'd shamed his father. He, he'd shunned his father. He dishonored his father in the community. His behavior embarrassed his father, taking his share of the estate. Choosing Gentile lands over being with his father was shameful. He, he chose shame over grace. It was unconscionable behavior. It was immeasurably shameful. So that the best, the very best he could hope for was to be like a day laborer. So he rehearses his speech. He sinned against heaven. He sinned against his father. And verse 20, so he got up and came to his father. His, his desperation drove him to repent. His repentance drove him to go. And now he was coming to the father. And what would you expect the father to do? What would you expect how would the scribes and Pharisees hearing Jesus talk about this? How would they have expected the father to respond? With incredulity. With 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 shock. That's how. Shock that the son would dare show his face in that land again. How dare you come to me after what you've done to me? You'd expect the father to not be warm. You'd expect the father to not be receptive. Someone would tell him, hey, your son is here. Your son has come. And he would not be quick to see him. He'd be shocked to even hear that. If you allowed him to see you at all, you'd make him wait. You'd make him ponder things. After he has shamed himself, he has shamed you. He probably smells like pigs. He 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 probably looks like garbage and he comes to see me. What does he have to do with me? He treated me as dead. He's as good as dead to me, so let him wait. And finally, if and when the father agreed to see the son, what would you expect? What would the scribes and Pharisees expect to punish him? To make him suffer for what he did? to to be ready to tell him all the things he has to do to even try to make up for what he's done in the past. He'd have to be a hired man. That's what he'd have to do. He'd have to work for me. The scribes and Pharisees would would listen to this, and and had Jesus said that that was the Father's reaction, they probably would have nodded in approval. After all, an eye for an eye, right? They would have been shocked by the son's sinful shame, shocked the father had given him his share of the estate, shocked the son decided to come back, even if it was the right thing to finally do. But their shock of all the things before this had nothing on what Jesus said next because of how the father really did respond. Verse 20, But while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him, and felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him, and kissed him. So just as this story is starting to make sense to the religious establishment, to the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus turns it all on its head. The the Father's response to them is the most shameful part of this entire parable. The Father's response to this is more shameful than what the son did to begin with. This son had dishonored him. He had treated him as garbage, treated him as dead. He'd attached himself to the wicked world instead. And yet here he was, and here was the father, seeing his prodigal in the distance, his son, running to him. He runs to his son. Why would the father do this? Why would the father trade what dignity he had left for this worthless son, this this wicked, profligate son who had wasted his fortune on loose living, who attached himself to wickedness, who became unclean, who handled unclean, why would he trade what dignity he has left for this worthless piece of flesh? How in the world, why in the world would the Father do this? He ran to him. And beloved, Middle Eastern nobles did not run. Because for a Middle Eastern noble to run, that would require picking up his robe, which would expose his legs, which was a shameful act in that culture. He would not have done that. So why would he run? Because for all his son had done to him, he felt compassion for him. After everything the Son had done to him, he felt compassion. For, and that word compassion, it refers to a, a yearn. literally in the Greek, it refers to a yearning from the bowels. Which sounds kind of odd to our, our sensibilities, but with it, it's a yearning from the very center of yourself. He yearned from, the, from who he was deep down for his son. He never stopped loving him. He never stopped caring about him. So why not then just wait for your son to get to you? you know, if you still, Why not just wait? Why run? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted the shame to stop. He wanted the shame heaped upon his son to cease immediately. And there is no doubt that once the son got into the village and started making his way to his father, that the town would have heaped more shame on him, and more shame on him, and deservedly so. It would have been fair for them to do that. And the son would have had no choice but to endure that shame as he made the walk down wherever road to where the father was. So the father ran to him instead. The son couldn't do the work to eliminate the shame. The father did the work to eliminate the shame. The father did the work to make the shame stop. The father ran to him before he could even make it into the town. Instead of his son who'd done all this to him, enduring more shame, the father took the shame upon himself. He condescended to his already shamed son and he ran to him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. The father bore in his own body the shame of his son. He bore in his own body. Instead of the sinner enduring more shame as he came into town, the father took the shame upon himself as he picked up his robe and ran to this disgraced son. That's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. We realize we aren't right before God. So what do we do? Well, we say, I do the best I can. I go to church. I try to be nice to people. I admit I'm not perfect. I I admit I make bad mistakes sometimes. I don't have it all together. That's what the prodigal's plan was, by the way. To go back and talk about himself and what he had done. But instead of the sinner bearing the shame and punishment, the Father came running. God comes running to the sinner, beloved. God comes running through His Son, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, God embraces the sinner. Through Jesus Christ, God kisses the sinner. Through Jesus Christ, God bears the shame the sinner deserves and takes it upon Himself Through Jesus Christ, His Son, God has taken on the punishment of the sinner. That's what happened to Jesus. It doesn't get more shameful than what happened to Jesus. He was spit on, beaten up, mocked, stripped bare. He had a a crown of thorns pressed into His temple. Jesus was nailed to a criminal's cross. He was crucified. This is what God did. This is what God took on Himself for everyone He will ever save. Mercy triumphs over judgment, says James 2, verse 13. So the father in this parable ran to his son, embraced his son, kissed his son. The shamed father showed his shamed son affection. This is forgiveness, beloved. This is what forgiveness looks like. This is the setting aside of past wrongs and the restoration of what should have been all along. This is what forgiveness looks like. And for the sinner who repents, this is what God does for everyone who comes to Him in repentance. This is what God does for everyone who trusts in His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, you and I, man. Each and every one of us was created for perfect fellowship with God. We were all created in the image of God. Adam and Eve put in that garden for perfect fellowship with God. But man wanted what man wanted. Man wanted what man wanted instead of what God said. Man sinned and willingly broke fellowship off from God. You know, we're supposed to be with God though. We're supposed to... To have perfect fellowship with Him. Sin is not what belongs in this world. Sin is a foreign substance in us. Sin is what corrupts. Sin is what has to be done away with. But the problem is, we can't do away with sin. We can't do away with it ourselves. Sinners can't save themselves, but God can. You can't save yourself, but God can. And God does. Today, beloved, the Father embraces those who come to Him. Are you coming to Him? Are you coming to Him? Has God granted this morning to you the gift of repentance? Have you come to the knowledge of the truth? What's the knowledge of the truth? Have you come to understand the depths of your own sinfulness? Have you come to understand just how far short you fall of the glory of God? Have you come to understand how you have shamed yourself? Have you come to understand that you can't fix yourself? But it takes Jesus and all that He is and all that He has and that He has done this for all who will ever repent and believe in Him. He has endured The shame of the cross. This is what the grumbling scribes and Pharisees listening to Jesus would not understand. They couldn't and wouldn't connect these dots and see that in this story Jesus was telling, God is the Father and the Son is the sinner and here is God showing mercy on the repenting sinner. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see that God had a plan to endure our shame in in, in, in our place. Jesus was telling these scribes and Pharisees just why He was spending these times with the tax collectors and sinners. Because it is what God does for all whom He saves. God the Father beloved through the work of His Son accepts us back into His presence. He runs to us. He did the work. Jesus did the work. There is joy in heaven when even one sinner repents. And Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Jesus, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising its shame. He died for the lives of all who will repent and all who come to the father all who repent but the father runs to him instead god embraces us god kisses us now look at the son in verse 21 he has to be shocked that his father has run to him and is even being nice to him he he doesn't know how to respond so he falls back on his prepared statement. You know, the one he was rehearsing. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice, before the son can say, make me as one of your hired men, before he can even get to that part, the father intercedes. He's going to give the repentant son more than he's asking for. He's going to give the repentant son more than he deserves. He says to his slaves, quickly! Quickly! Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. And if you're a scribe and a Pharisee listening to this, you are incredulous that this son has returned. But now listening to this, hearing what the father did, they would have been apoplectic. This is the worst thing they've heard yet. This is the worst thing they've heard so far. For the father to do this, how could he honor this son who had dishonored him? How could he run to him and embrace him and now give him this? You know, they were waiting to hear the father. Well, they were waiting to hear the son say, make me a hired man, and the father to say, yeah. That's why that's what I'm talking about. Okay. But the father doesn't even let him get to that point. That's the point. The father didn't let him get to that point. Instead, he says, "Bring me the best robe, give me a ring, sandals, without delay quickly. He's not going to have his son be a hired man. What he has in mind is what has been lost." And what has been lost? A relationship. A completely restored relationship. He has the best robe put on him, which, by the way, would have been his robe. He's the head of his household. He's the patriarch of his family. He's the master of his property. The best robe would have been his. Put my robe on my son. Put the best robe on my son. Beloved, we come to the father naked. We come to to God as filthy sinners. You, You can't come to God any other way. Stripped bare of your own lack of righteousness. And what does God do? He clothes us in His own righteousness. He clothes you and He clothes me in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is a picture of Isaiah 61. With regard to God saving the unworthy. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. God takes our shame and our humiliation away because Christ has borne it in our place. And then Isaiah says more I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For, listen to this, he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in what? A robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, he has wrapped those he saves in robes of righteousness. I suspect that slipped the scribes and Pharisees' minds when they heard Jesus saying this. Even though... They were the so-called experts in the Scriptures. I suspect that they were blinded by their hatred of Christ and their self-righteousness to even process this. But the best robe, this is what this is a picture of, God wrapping the sinner up and saving him with a robe of his own right The best righteousness, his own righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God, the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, become sin. Be sin for us, those He's saving. Why? So that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. As if to say, all that I have is yours. You were naked, I clothed you. You were clean, I washed you. You were shame. I bore the shame. I took it away from you. That's how anyone comes to Christ. Christ died, Romans 4 5, to justify the ungodly. Christ came so that God could justify the ungodly. While we were yet what? Christ died for us, sinners. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We were enemies. But not anymore. God clothes us in His robe. God clothes us in His righteousness. He doesn't just restore us. He gives us more than we could possibly ask or imagine. The point being that God's grace is greater than our sin. Do you realize this morning that God's grace is greater than your sin? If you realize that, then the only question I have for you is, why do you keep living in sin? There's a hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. It's in our hymnal. It says, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Dark is the stain we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away. Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see His face. Will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, Grace that is greater than all our sin. The question was, would the scribes and Pharisees hear it? We'll talk about that and see how the other older brother responded to all this next Sunday. But today, will you hear it? Do you hear it? Have you received the grace of God? Has God made you alive and granted to you the gift of repentance? Have you come to the end of yourself realizing it's only with the Father that you can live? You're going to starve to death any other place. Have you come to Him recognizing your own unworthiness? If so, it means He has clothed you with the righteousness of His Son. He has restored you to full fellowship with Him so that you might right now Live as His Son, as His daughter. And forevermore enjoy the benefits of being His. But if you have not come to Jesus like this, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Because the Father bids you come. Jesus has commanded you to come. And He will run to you. He will embrace you where you are. And He will bring you to where He wants you to be. By His grace, in His mercy, He will clothe you with His righteousness. That's what forgiveness looks like. Taking you naked and giving you clothes. His righteousness. God won't hold your sin against you because Jesus has paid the price. He bore in His body our shame. 1 Peter 2 says, He bore in His own body our sins on the cross. This man receives sinners. And God forgives them because of that. Because he has paid the debt himself. Beloved, ask God this morning to remove your sinfully stained garments so that he might clothe you with his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, help us to see how utterly unworthy we are apart from you. How there is none righteous, not even one. We've all turned aside. We've all gone astray. And it's only by your grace that any of us is saved. We thank you, Father, for the gospel. We thank you that when we couldn't pay the debt, when we could not save ourselves, when we would come back to you filthy and defiled, that you sent your Son as the perfect Lamb. To take away the sin of the world. The perfect sacrifice. That sinners like us might be saved. Father help us this morning. To comprehend the incomprehensible gospel. Help us to rightly esteem the inestimable grace you've shown us. The inestimable price price your son paid. Help us to see how worthy You are. And in response to that, live with obedient faith. You are worthy, Father. We are not worthy to be called Your sons, and yet You do it anyway. You eagerly restore us. There's joy when one sinner repents. May we bring You joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.